0: Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. These are some um, uh, scriptures that the Lord has really, really uh, ministered to me concerning over the years, over many years. And, um, and uh, I think there's some very important truth there that a lot of times people don't realize. Um, I'm going to start reading in verse uh, 8, Isaiah 55, verse 8. I'll read verses 8 and 9 and then stop and make some comments. God speaking to the prophet, saying first person about himself for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I grew up in a church that taught me that you couldn't think like God. And this, this is proof because God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Well let me ask you a question. If that's true if it's impossible to think God's thoughts, what's he telling us for? Is he mocking us? I mean, verse 10 should be na-na-na-na-na, if that's the case. No, he's got a purpose in it. He's telling us that we're not geared through our natural human nature. And, of course, there's nobody at the time that these uh, words were written that could possibly be born again. That came only through the shed blood and the resurrection of Jesus. So it would be impossible for unregenerate man, Old Testament unsaved man, New Testament unsaved man, then or now, it would be impossible for the unsaved to think God's thoughts. But what do you think the purpose of the word of God is? If not to reveal God's thoughts and if not to reveal God's ways, God's not saying my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So tough luck for you. He's saying my thoughts are not your thoughts. So change your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways, so come up to my ways. And he gave us the word of God to enable us to do just that. Paul said, writing to the church, be not conformed to this world. This is Romans twelve two. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, isn't your mind where you think? Isn't he telling us to be renewed in our minds or in our thoughts? Isn't he, tell us to come, isn't he telling us to change our old way of thinking to a new way of thinking? He says, be not conformed to this world, the unsaved, those whose thoughts are lower than God, those whose ways are lower than God. He said, be not conformed to that, but be transformed, changed, transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can change your life if you'll change your thinking. I wish the church could get a hold of that. The greatest need in the body of Christ is not more love, greatest need in the body of Christ is not more, nor, more power. greatest need in the body of Christ is not greater ministers, better preachers. The greatest need in the body of Christ is to renew their mind the word. He's writing this to Christians. Be not conformed to this world, the unsaved world, who does not think like God. Be not conformed to them, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, literally experience, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? Doesn't God want you to, to think like Him? Doesn't the Bible say we have the mind of Christ? Well, how can you have the mind of Christ if you don't think God's thoughts? What good would the mind of Christ be if it doesn't include thinking like God? Are you out there? It's the will of God for you to think like Him, it is the will of God for you to think His thoughts. It's the will of God for you to operate in his ways. The Bible says God is love. Doesn't the Bible tell us to love one another? Well, that's operating in the ways of God then, wouldn't it? That's the will of God. And as we renew our mind to the word of God, we can experience God's will for our lives. We can experience God's blessings. We can experience all the wonderful things that the Bible says belongs to us. Now back to Isaiah 55. Let me read these two verses again. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For uh, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than, literally meaning higher than your thoughts. So what do we do? Verse 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there, thither, returns not to heaven in other words, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. Now, notice what he's doing. He's making a comparison. He's saying, just like rain and snow comes down from heaven and waters the earth, so shall my word be. It shall come from heaven and, and effect a result in the earth. Now, where it says, uh, as the rain comes down and the snow comes down from heaven and returns not there, thither, it means it does not return. Other translations bring this out it does not return to heaven without first watering the earth. So that it provides nourishment for the plants. So that it provides seed for the sower and bread for the eater. In other words, it produces a crop. Now, we know that snow and rain come from heaven, don't we? Come from the atmosphere. Come from what we call the heaven. It's what the Bible calls the first heaven. The atmosphere around the earth. But where does the water come from? Does water come from outer space into the atmosphere and then water the earth? No, the water comes from the earth. It's what's known as the water cycle. Water evaporates from the earth, from the seas and lakes and and wherever it comes from. And it goes up and it collects in the clouds. And when it collects in the clouds and the, the atmospheric conditions are just right, then it rains or snows. And that rain and that snow, which comes from the earth, originally comes from the earth, is what produces the crops that feed us and supply for our needs. That's what, Jesus, that's what god is saying to isaiah that the example of his word is like in other words there's a circular effect to the word of god just like there's a circular effect to the water cycle as the as the rain and the snow rain comes down and the snow comes down from heaven and returns not there to heaven but first waters without first watering the earth that makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It, the word, shall not return unto me void. Notice he's talking about a, a process of coming down from heaven and back up to him. It shall not return unto me void. Now, void of what? It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing where to I sent. Let me read this from a couple of other translations. The Septuagint says it this way. So shall my word be, whatsoever shall proceed out of my mouth, it shall by no means turn back until all the the things which I will shall have been accomplished. And I will make thy ways prosperous and will effect my commands. The contemporary English version says it this way. That's how it is with my words. They don't return unto me without doing everything I send them to do. The English Revised Version says, In the same way my words leave my mouth and they don't come back without results. My words make the things happen that I want to happen. They succeed in doing what I send them to do. By the way, let me give it to you out of the uh, complete Jewish Bible. So is my word that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return unto me unfulfilled. But it will accomplish what I intend and cause to succeed what I send it to do. Uh, now, where did the word of God come from? Well, originally it came from God inspired by the Holy Ghost. But did it float down from heaven? Did somebody just go walk into the field one day and find this big book that said Holy Bible? Now, the Bible tells us that holy men of old were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the Word of God came from the earth. It originated through divine inspiration from heaven, but it came from the earth. Come down from in to do a pur- to accomplish a purpose, a specific purpose. Now, what is that purpose? Well, again, in verse 11, it says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, meaning void of power, without producing results. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. What does he mean, prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it? What does he mean, accomplish that which I please? Well, verses of Scripture have different reasons, have different purposes behind them. There are prosperity verses, there are healing verses, there are salvation or forgiveness of sins verses, there are redemptive verses, there are informational verses, and each of these verses, these categories of verses of Scripture, categories of Scripture, each one of these have a specific purpose that is accomplished when, when the conditions are met. Now, what are the conditions? Most of the church world thinks the conditions are, if God said it, then that means it'll work. Most of the conditions that the church world accepts, the only conditions much of the church world accepts, is if God wants something to happen, then it's going to happen. If he said so, then that's it. That's all there is to it. Let me read something to you from Mark chapter 7. Jesus uh, finds himself in the middle of some uh, uh, Pharisees and and so forth. And the Pharisees found fault with Jesus and his disciples, and they, they questioned Jesus. And they said, Why don't your disciples wash their hands after the tradition of the elders and jesus says uh, some things about him i just want to summarize i don't want to read the whole thing verse 8 he says for laying aside the commandment of god you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things such like things you do and then he said to them full well you reject the commandment of god now i would dare say that every one of these pharisees are convinced that they're doing the will of God and doing exactly what God wanted them to do. Yet Jesus said, Full well you reject the commandment of God that or so that you may keep your own tradition. That you may keep your own tradition. Now what is it that's causing them to operate contrary to the commandment of God? They're thinking wrong. Their thoughts are not God's thoughts. They've rejected God's word as revealing his thoughts on the subject at hand And instead, they've accepted their own way of thinking. And they're acting according to that. He goes further and says, for Moses said, he just gives an example. There are many other things he mentions or refers to as well. He said, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whosoever curses curses father or mother, let him die the death. But you say, here's your tradition. That's what God said before. But here's what you say and said. But you say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother. Now, let me explain this a little bit because we're not familiar with Jewish culture and so forth. But in Jesus' day, the tradition of the Jews was very simply this. If you didn't want to be responsible for taking care of your mother and father, if you didn't want to be financially responsible for taking care of your parents and they were elderly, you could give them a one-time gift and buy them off. Buy off your responsibility to them. That one-time gift would release you or make you free from the commandment of God to honor your father and mother and to take care of them like good children should do. So that's what Jesus is saying. He uses the example of violating, they're violating the commandment of God from Moses, given through Moses, of honoring your father and mother, something that's well understood, well widely accepted. Everybody starts looking at this and says, Well, you know, a one time gift, even though it's more than the monthly outlay for taking care of my parents, is still cheaper in the long run than taking care of them. Who knows how long they're going to live? So that's what people were doing. So Jesus said, You say that if you offer a gift, whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And you suffer him. No more to do aught or anything for his father or his mother. Verse 13. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. The word tradition literally means reasonings. It means preconceived notions. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. Which you have delivered. And many such things do you. In other words, he's saying this isn't the only commandment you do this to. You do this to a lot of the other, a lot of the other parts in other scriptures contained in the word of God. In other words, you're changing what God revealed as his will, his plan, his purpose, his thoughts, his ways, for the way you want it to be instead. Now, where did they get to the tradition? Notice Jesus said where it came from. It said, Jesus said, uh, Jesus said making the word of God of none effect to your traditions, which you have delivered. In other words, this was inspired by your willingness to gain, in the case of your parents, taking care of your parents, rather than inspired by the Holy Ghost. You're operating on what you would prefer rather than what the Word of God says. And notice what the end result of that is, making the Word of God of none effect. Now, folks, I would submit to you, and I could take time to prove it to you, through Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, the Word of God is the most powerful thing in the universe. Everything in the universe was created by the Word of God. But notice that you can make the most powerful thing in the universe of none effect, powerless, by wrong thinking, by wrong thinking. Are you with me? So then, if we go back to Isaiah 55, and in this context, said, so shall my word be just like the the water cycle, rain coming down from heaven watering the earth, making it produce a crop to provide for mankind. Then water evaporates, goes back up into the clouds and waits for the next right atmospheric condition to water the earth again. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void of power. It shall not return unto me unfruitful. It shall not return unto me without producing results. Other translations said that we read. But it shall accomplish... That which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Now, folks, what is it therefore, if it's not the Word of God, if it's not just the power in the Word of God itself, what is it therefore that produces power for the Word of God to take effect? It's not the Word of God that came from God's mouth to us that determines whether the results will be produced, it's the Word of God that returns from us to Him that determines the effectiveness of the powerful nature or the results of the word. Look with me over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 tells us the story of Abraham and his faith. It tells us to emulate the faith of Abraham. I want to start reading in verse 17. It says, as it is written, here's what God said to Abraham, in other words, as written in the Old Testament. I have made thee the father of many nations. Before him he believed, talking about Abraham, believed God, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now keep that in mind. The Bible is telling us about Abraham's success in his operation of faith. You remember the story about how God appeared to Abraham at 75 years of age in Genesis chapter 12, or I'm sorry, it's Genesis chapter 11, I guess it is. Anyway, God's first time that he appears to Abraham, Abraham is 75 years of age, and God says to him, I will make you a blessing, I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Making your name great has to do with children. He's promising him children. At 75 years of age, Abraham was childless, and God promised him a child, along with some other things, the first time that he ever appeared to him. Now, Abraham did not have a child until he was 100 years old. It doesn't take 25 years to have a child. Yet this story in, Genesis, in um, Romans chapter 4, this story is telling us of Abraham's successful operation of faith, which might imply, and I'm not throwing stones, but it might imply that he was unsuccessful in his faith until he was 100 years old, at least in this regard, in the area of having children. So it says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God who quicketh the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness, the Bible says. Who against hope, talking about Abraham, he had no natural hope. He got to the place where he was too old to have children. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. Where did he get that hope to believe in? According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, that's a choice by the way, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform now, we've taken these things apart some, and we'll, we'll do a little bit of it tonight as well. But I want you to realize these are the characteristics that the Holy Ghost inspires and impresses Paul to refer to, to remind us of, because this is what successful faith looks like. This is what strong faith looks like. But now let's look at Abraham's life. I think a lot of times we make a mistake by just looking at the end result and the... the, the uh, The end result of faith in many people's lives and we hear spectacular stories. And we don't get enough of the information of what was happening day to day. We don't get enough of the information of what was happening along the way. So we don't know how we're supposed to operate when we run into trouble along the way. So turn back with me to the book of Genesis. Let's look real quickly. We won't take a long time with this. But let's take a little bit of time and look at God's dealing with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. Starting in verse 1, and now the Lord had said unto Abram, hadn't changed his name yet. The Lord said unto Abram, get thee out of that country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. That's children, that's uh, descendants. I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. By the way, that's the that's what a lot of people are trying to attach to Israel today. A lot of people are saying, well, America can't be blessed if we don't bless Israel. Folks, that's old covenant stuff. Israel is not in whom all the families of the earth are blessed today. The church is. My blessing does not depend on my my blessing Israel. If so, then the work of Jesus was not complete. My blessing belongs to me because of what Jesus did and has already accomplished. Now, don't get me wrong. Nobody's on Israel's side more than me. Having to pick between America and Israel, a lot of things that are going on, I pick them. But not because it puts me in some kind of position with God. Because I know God loves them, so I want to do well by them too. But no matter what happens to Israel, or does does or does not happen to Israel, my relationship with God and my blessings in God are secure in Christ. So are yours. So this notion that America has to bless Israel to be blessed, that's just not right. That presupposes that everything Israel does is right, and it's not. They make mistakes just like everybody else does. Okay. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Verse 4, so Abraham departed, or Abram, I'm sorry, Forgive me if I change his name too quick. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Skip down to verse 7. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He's still seventy-five. Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Skip with me over to um, verse 13. Chapter 13, I'm sorry. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that that he had, and Lot was with him in the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. So the first part of the blessing, or at least part of the blessing that God said, I will bless thee, has come to pass. Which means his faith worked in that regard. Right? He believed God when God said, Leave the land of your father and go where I tell you to go, and I'll bless you. And as a result, God blessed Abraham. Abram was very rich in silver and cattle and gold. He and Lot start having trouble. Lot separates unto them, uh, separates from him. Skip with me over to verse fourteen. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. God keeps talking to him about children. He keeps talking to him about descendants, not just children singular, but not just a child singular, but descendants, generations. God is taking for granted that what he says is a done deal. Abraham's still 75 or 76 years old. Somewhere around there. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Abraham, I'm thinking, this is sounding better and better and better. Don't you agree? Chapters 14 tells us about how that um, uh, there's enemy kings came out and took a lot in his possessions and Abraham or Abram took a, of the servants of his house and went out against them and defeated the kings and so forth chapter 15 after these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying fear not Abram I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward I like what these words literally mean I am your shield and your exceeding great payment reward means payment it pays to serve God folks it pays to believe God. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me seeing I go childless? So Abram is, is blessed in a lot of ways, but he still doesn't have the child that he's looking for. These descendants, this seed that the, the land is going to be given to, has got to start with somebody, and he doesn't yet have the son or the child. Lord God, what wilt thou give me seeing I go childless, since the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Sounds like he's blaming God for not getting results. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth, verse 5, brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be, verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord God that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. He keeps talking to him about seed, and he keeps talking to him about an inheritance of land. A place for the nation of people that he's going to bring forth. And Abram said, Lord God, where shall shall I know that I shall inherit it? And that's when God tells him to take an animal... Split it in half and God makes a covenant with him. Verse 18, in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, Abram saying, Unto thy seed have I given thee this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river the river Euphrates. And then he tells him the other boundaries of the land. Can you see this? Then we see the story in chapter 16 of Sarah trying to help God out. This did not working as quick as she thought it would or should. She's about 75 now, 76 years old, somewhere around there. She's getting anxious. And so she gives Abram her handmaid Hagar to have a child by. And they do. And that child's name is Ishmael. Verse 16 of chapter 16 says Abram was fourscore and six years old. That's 86 years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Now, what I want you to see, folks, is that 11 years have passed. From age 75 to age 86. And God has spoken several times now that we have record of about the child and the descendants that Abraham will have and the land that they will inherit. Right? No child. Now what is God waiting for? I can argue this both ways to be honest with you. I can argue with you that Abraham was not in faith. We can take some of the verses of Scripture that we've seen and, 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 and apply it to principles that we know concerning faith and doubt and unbelief and so forth. And every time Abraham says, we haven't had this child yet, he's trying to put it off on God rather than take responsibility for it and act according to what Romans chapter 4 says he finally comes down to. At this point in time, you have to agree. If you can read intelligently, you have to agree that Romans chapter 4 is not describing the actions of Abraham up to this point. There's no strong being strong in faith. There's no being not weak in faith. There's no being fully persuaded in giving God glory about anything. He hasn't started operating that way yet. Now, on the other hand, I can argue that it was a timing issue that no matter what Abraham had done, From the time he was 75. He wasn't going to have a child. Until it was absolutely impossible. Physically. For he and Sarah to have the child. Which way is it? I think it's both. I think there was a timing issue. Because Abraham is going to be the father of faith. That means he has to be in a more impossible situation. Than you and I could ever face. Now your situation may be just as impossible as his. But it can't be more impossible than his. And if the situation that is used. As our example of faith. Was less impossible than what we face. Then it wouldn't be an an equitable example for us to follow. So I think that's part of it. But right on the other hand. What's to keep Abraham from believing God in the meantime? Strong faith or weak faith is a choice. You're not strong in faith because God gives you something extra. You're strong in faith because you choose to apply the principles that Abraham finally applies. As identified in Romans chapter 4. So why isn't he operating in faith here? I think it's both ways. I don't think Abraham has learned the, the, uh, the reality of how to really stand in faith yet. Now think about it in, in, context, of Roman, in uh, context of Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that cometh forth out of my mouth, goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. There's no word returning unto God at all from Abraham up to this point. At age 86, there's no word returning unto God in any way whatsoever. So it can't produce results because nothing is coming back to the father to, uh, that has any power. There's nothing, no way for God's word to accomplish the results that he sent it to accomplish. Because there's no word coming back to him. Abraham has not yet begun to speak the word back to the father. And until he does that... He could have 50,000 verses of scripture that promise him children. And he's not going to have a child. Because God said this is how his word works. His word is void of power until it returns to him. It has the potential to produce anything and everything that it was sent to do. But it's not going to produce results until it returns to him. It hasn't started returning yet. Chapter 17. And when Abram was 90 years old and 9. So he had a 13 year span in one verse of Scripture. Chapter 16, verse 16, he's fourscore and six years old. That's 86. Chapter 17, he's 99. 13 years passed. We don't know what happened in those 13 years. We know Ishmael is now 13 years old. But beyond that, we don't know anything. What we're looking for is what is Abraham's spiritual condition at age 99? At age 99, has he begun. To be the, the one that's described in Romans chapter 4 yet. That got results. Well let's see. Verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and 9. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him. I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee. And will multiply thee exceedingly. Still talking 13 years later. We don't know if he's appeared to him. or talked to him between, in between these two verses of scripture. In the, that period of time. But God shows up when he's 99 years old and still talking to him about children, still talking to him about seed that outnumbers the dust of the earth and the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. God hadn't changed a bit. Where's Abraham? And Abraham fell on his face and talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with... Uh, I'm sorry, Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations... Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful and make, thee, make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between thee and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God." And it goes talks about circumcision, the sign of the covenant and so forth. God said unto Abram, verse 15, As for Sarah thy wife, thy name shall thou shalt not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her and give her give thee a son also of her. She's 90 by this time. I will bless her and she will be a mother of nations, kings of people shall be of her. And Abraham lifted his hands and rejoiced and said, Oh, Father. The answer to my faith has come. I've just been waiting for this day. I've been choosing all these many years not to be weak in faith, but to be strong in faith, giving glory to God. And I've been fully persuaded that what you promised all these years ago, you are able also to perform. Does that look anything like the Abraham that's described in the next verse? God has just expanded on the covenant promises that he's made to him about children and inheritance. Then Abraham, verse 17, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. If he's in faith, what's he worried about Ishmael for? If he's believing for a child. See, some translations say Abraham rejoiced and said these things. Well, if he's rejoicing, what's he worried about Ishmael for? Why is he talking about it being impossible to have a child? Shall someone... shall? Someone 100 years old and a wife that's not even have children? No, this looks impossible to him at this point. Now, at what point did it become impossible to him? Well, it was impossible. It started looking impossible to Sarah 13 years before. When she offered Hagar, and Ishmael was the result. Ishmael is the father of the Arab nations. And you know how well the Jews and the Arabs have gotten along all these many years. That all started with Sarah trying to help God out. Now, if she was believing the promise of God, what's she helping God out for? No, her helping God out is the same act of unbelief that when you and I try to help God out, we're not convinced that God's able to do what he said, that it's going to work out the way the Bible promises, so we try to take things under our own control. You know, one of the most... Uncomfortable places in the world when you're not in control. To some of us, that means more than others. But there's one thing about operating in faith. You're never in control. You can do your part. Having done all the stands, you can stand. But you don't control the outcome. You can't force impossible things to appear. You can't rearrange circumstances and make things line up with the word. You have to trust God to make that happen. Even where healing is concerned, James chapter 5 says, The prayer of faith shall save the sick, save or heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Healing comes from God or else it's not divine healing. And that's completely and totally outside of our control. Well, what can we control? We can control what we believe and how we act accordingly. Abraham, the thing that's under Abraham's control, has just been revealed to be unbelief. Abraham is operating according to unbelief. And God says, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. Verse 19, And thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I will bless him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But... My covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. Folks, I would submit to you that Romans chapter 4 was not a lifelong pursuit or a lifelong result of Abraham standing in faith for 25 years. I would submit to you that Abraham went from a place of unbelief where he's fallen on his face and laughing at the promise of God about having children at age 99 to where he becomes the father of faith in a one year period of time. Verse 24 And Abram was 99 years old, ninety years old and nine. Chapter 18 The Lord appeared unto him in the plain of Mamre and sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Talks to him about Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, verse 9 And they said unto him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, Behold, she's in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. In other words, she's been through menopause. It's physically impossible for her to have a child. Her body is not producing eggs anymore to be fertilized to be able to get pregnant. Now you can't get more impossible than that. We're talking creative miracle. We're talking something that's outside of man's control completely, totally. Now, I'm not an expert on the reproductive system, but I do know there's lots of things involved with the change of life for women. A lot of things that would prevent her from even going, carrying a pregnancy full term. If she was able to be, get pregnant. Just a layman's knowledge gives us that much information, doesn't it? Now Abraham and Sarah were, were old and well-stricken in age and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed. She's in unbelief just like he was. He's changing. He changed from chapter 17 to chapter 18. He's not in the same unbelief he was just a chapter before. But she's right where he was earlier. Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? In other words, I'm going to have a child now. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore, or why, did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have a surety a child with your mold? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, I would recommend that you underline that verse of Scripture in your Bible. Highlight it. Do whatever you need to do to make it stand out. Because this is the thing that changed Sarah from unbelief to faith. And if you take the time to look over in Hebrews chapter 11, she's listed in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Not because of what she does in chapter 18, Genesis chapter 18, she wouldn't qualify for the Hall of Fame of Faith. But she changes in less than a year too. Don't tell me it takes a long time to get in faith. Don't tell me it takes a long time to develop strong faith. It doesn't. And Sarah laughed. and The Lord said, what she laugh for? And here's his question. Verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Folks, that's a real question. In your situation, is anything too hard for God? Is your healing too hard for God? Is God changing your circumstances too hard for him to do? If you don't address that question, if you don't really consider it, then the default on many of us is going to be, yeah, this is too hard. Because we don't develop faith in God's ability to help or to change in our situations unless we do it on purpose. It doesn't accidentally happen. And the more serious, the more severe, the more critical the situation is, the more you need to examine and evaluate is this within God's ability. Now, I'm not talking about the casual, oh, with God, all things are possible. A parrot can say that. But there's a difference in saying it and believing it. And you only develop faith and in in, uh, in, uh, the ability to say it because you believe it by really considering What would it take for God to change my situation? What would it take for God to bring about my healing? doesn't mean you're going to have the answers to everything. It may be a a possibility or several different ways that it could happen. And you may not know which one it's going to be, and it doesn't matter. But you need to consider, is any of these things, are any of these things too difficult for God to do? Are any of these things outside the realm of what God has promised that he would do in his word? See, Abraham and Sarah too, she doesn't know it yet. Or at least he's not convinced of it yet but Abraham has a promise that not only will it happen it will happen at a certain time so now the question is is God not able in Abraham and Sarah's situation is God not able to make the changes in Sarah's body that are necessary for her to be able to carry and to have and carry a child she's just identified that she thinks it's way too late for anything and the only thing that's going to change her thinking on that, remember, my thoughts are not your thoughts, God said. The only thing that's going to change her thinking, the only thing that's going to transform her is her to change her thinking, to alter her thinking in line with what God has said instead of what she thinks about how things normally work. And the only thing that's going to do that is for her to consider what God has said. And I don't mean just look at it and say, "Oh, yeah, okay. I mean consider it. I mean to look at it intently, to look at it from every angle, to speak it to herself to the point where she knows that she knows that she knows there is no wiggle room for God to get out of this. This is what he promised. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. In other words, what that literally means is she's going to start having her periods again, and then she's going to get pregnant. Then Sarah denied, saying, oh, I didn't laugh. Nobody wants to get caught in unbelief, do we? Well, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. But he said, now the, the question is, who's the he? Is the he referring to the Lord? Or is the he referring to Abraham after he questioned her about laughing? I think it's Abraham. And if it is Abraham, notice how he's changed. He doesn't go and say, well, the Lord said you laughed. Oh, I didn't laugh. Oh, well, I guess he was mistaken. I know I can trust you. No, he takes God's word as the reality no matter what somebody else says. You can see some changes occurring in him. The acceptance of God's word no matter what is beginning to take hold. Uh, I said something about Sodom and Gomorrah. It's later on in the chapter. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We know the end result is they have a son. They name him Isaac by the direction of the Lord. And he becomes the father of the Jews. The beginning of the tribe of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel. The Jewish nation as we know of them today. Jesus is of the lineage of Abraham. And all the nations in the earth are blessed through Jesus and the work of redemption that he did because of one man and one woman that chose to believe God. Now, here's what their believing God looked like after they got in the right place, the place where faith produces results. Who against hope, verse 18, who against hope without natural hope, in other words, without any circumstances to put hope in, they believed in hope that they might become the father of many nations. Now, where did they get the hope if they didn't have any natural circumstances to put hope in? The hope that they believed in was according to what God had said, so shall your seed be. In other words, the only thing they had to hope in is what God had promised. There was no circumstance that could prove or substantiate or confirm anything that they wanted to receive. The only thing they had to go on was God's promise, God's word. remember in in, uh, Matthew chapter 8. Where the centurion said. My servant is at home. Sick. Jesus said I'll come come to your house and heal him. He said I'm not worthy that you come to my house. Speak the word only. And my servant will be healed. The centurion said I know how authority works. I'm a man under authority. And whatsoever my master tells me to do. My officers in charge of me tell me to do. I do it. Without question. And those that are under my authority, when I tell them what to do, they don't question me. They do what I tell them. The implication is, Jesus, I recognize from what I've heard of you that you have authority over sickness and disease. Speak the word only and my servant will be healed. In other words, this man has nothing to hope in except the word that Jesus would speak. And Jesus said, man, I've not found such great faith. No, not all, in the, not in the whole of Israel. This man is not a Jew. He's a Roman soldier. He said, I haven't found this kind of faith among the people that are supposed to know how to believe. That's what Abraham and Sarah are doing. Who against hope, without any natural circumstance to hope in, believed in the hope that came from God's promise. So shall your seed be. If God promised that I'd have a seed to inherit the land, then that means I've got to have a child. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Here's what weak faith does. Weak faith looks at the circumstances. Weak faith focuses on the circumstances and says, well, I don't know why it hadn't happened. Oh, Lord, you know I trust you. You know I am believing you. You know I've worshipped you. You know I've done all the things I'm supposed to do. I just don't understand why it's this way. Weak faith goes and finds somebody else to talk to about how tough it is. That's what weak faith does. And it's all circumstance based. And the idea. That many people have is. If I can just get somebody to feel sorry for me. And understand how tough my situation is. Then I'll feel better. Well number one it doesn't make you feel any better. And number two it's unbelief. Weak faith is unbelief. Weak faith is unproductive faith. Weak faith is void of power. But here's what Abraham did instead. Tells us what he didn't do and then tells us what he did do. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old. Now, I I think it's important that I, I, I do this all the time. So forgive me for being repetitive. But so many times people think denying the circumstances is faith. And it's not. Faith doesn't call things that are as though they're not. Faith calls things that are not as though they are. Faith doesn't say, "I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick." Faith says, "By the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed." Yeah, but the doctors diagnosed me with some sickness or disease. That's why it's important to call things that be not as though they are. Denying the circumstances doesn't do a thing. It's a counterfeit. And a lot of people are just trying to ignore or deny the circumstances. I think this happened with, with sickness and disease so many times. People will ignore what doctors tell them, thinking that they're, they're ignoring the, the doctor's diagnosis is somehow is going to fix their body, and it doesn't. They wind up dying of the thing the doctor said they had. Faith calls things that be not as though they are. for example, if the doctor has diagnosed cancer, then faith says. Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses, and with his stripes I'm healed. Well, what do I do with the doctor in the meantime? Let him help you all he can. Let him provide whatever relief there there is available from the symptoms while you let your faith work and change your body. This idea that that you you hear stories like this from time to time, and people try to attach it to, to faith, and it's not where parents let their children die of sickness and disease without going to the doctors. I think parents like that ought to be shot. My position is if I want to hurt, and if it's just me and it's my body, and if I want to hurt without going to the doctor, that's my choice. But my kids that need doctors medical attention, they're getting it. Going to the doctor doesn't affect your faith one way or the other unless God says something to you specifically about it, and he's not going to say something specifically to you about your children. He's not going to tell you to keep your children out of the hands of the doctor. See, people operating in faith have gotten a bad rap, or people that thought they were operating in faith, I should say, have gotten a bad reputation because they've operated in foolishness and didn't have the, the, the good sense to know that that's not what faith does. People ask all the time, well, should I take my medicine? Of course you should take your medicine. But take it in faith. Take it in faith expecting to get supernatural results from it. Doctors aren't trying to trip you up spiritually. They're trying to help you. Doctors aren't up the devil. They're not the uh, obstacles that the devil has put in your path to keep you from receiving your healing. They're here to keep you alive until your faith works. Thank God for doctors. They kept a lot of us alive until we found out how to believe God. So Abraham was not weak in faith. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't deny the circumstances that was in his body. He just didn't let that be the final authority for what he was going to believe or say. He staggered not at the promise of God. I like the... the. Uh, let me read this to you from the American Standard Version and the Revised Version. The a- ASV says, Yet... Looking under the promise of God, see it, does, it tells us what he didn't look at in the previous verse. He didn't look at his own body or Sarah's body as being dead. But well, what did he look at then? Yet looking under the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong in faith, giving glory to God. The revised version says it this way. Yea, looking under the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief, but waxed strong through faith, giving glory to God. Looking under the promise of God, what didn't he look at? He didn't look at the condition of his body to be the judge of whether or not God's promise was true. Well, then what did he look at? He looked only at the promise. He looked only at the promise and refused to waver, even though his body didn't line up with what what God had said yet. He refused to waver. He refused to waver. Looking under the promise of God, he wavered not Through unbelief. But was strong in faith. What does strong faith do? Giving glory to God. He thanked God for the answer. Before he saw the answer. And. Being fully persuaded. That what God had promised. He was able. Also to perform. What has changed. In Abraham's life. is recorded in Genesis. Chapters 12 through 18. To Romans chapter 4. What changed? What he started saying. Back to God so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void of power or unfruitful or without results, but shall accomplish that which I sent it to do. How is the word of God going to accomplish what God sent it to do? How is the healing word of God going to accomplish healing in your body? There's only one way for it to work, and that is for you to say it back to him. It's not the fact that he said it to you. Thank God he said it to us. But him saying it to us is not the thing that produces results. It's us saying it back to him. Because it does not return void of power. It does not return without producing results. It does not return to him without it doing the word of God, without scripture doing exactly what what he sent it to do. Of course, we're talking about the subject of healing. Healing scriptures do not return to God the Father. Without accomplishing healing in our bodies. It's impossible. It's impossible. Now don't be discouraged if you're not fully persuaded. Fully persuaded is something that comes over time. Doesn't have to be a long time. But there are different factors that affect how persuaded you are. But factor number one is what you're looking at. The more intently you look at the word of God the more intent you are on putting the word of God and making the word of God a part of your heart, the more fully persuaded you will be day by day by day. Let me close with Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. God said to Joshua this way about the word of God and producing results, prospering in whatever he did. He said, this book of the law, that's all they had was the law of Moses in that day. He said, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. When are we going to prosper, and when are we going to have good success in the Word? When are we going to get healing success or healing results from the Word of God? When we determine to speak the Word of God only, day and night. the Bible calls that meditating in the Word. See, Eastern religions say that meditating is all about emptying your mind and Whatever. I think a lot of Christians are halfway there. But meditating. A scriptural meditation. What the Bible calls meditating. Is not emptying your mind of anything. It's filling your mind with the word. By speaking it. It's the way that you learn to think God's thoughts. And the degree. That you give attention to the word of God. Is the degree that you will become persuaded. To the truth of the word. Now if you take a. Half effort toward it, then being fully persuaded is going to take you a long, long time. But God told Joshua to give it his full attention. This book of the law, this word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth. Don't ever stop speaking the word. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Meditating is speaking the word. He tells him to speak it day and night. He didn't say, Speak it till you start feeling bad. He didn't say speak it till you get discouraged. He didn't say speak it until it looks like things get worse. He said never stop speaking the word. Meditate therein day and night. Now what's the purpose of meditating in the word? To be a doer of it. Now in some cases meditating in the word is all you can do. If it's outside of your power, outside of your ability in the circumstance that you're in. Sometimes confessing the word is faith in its highest form. Other times... It's part of the, the work that needs to be done. Faith for finances, for example, is not just a matter of confessing the word. It's confessing the word and planting seed. But healing's a different matter. There's no way to plant seed for healing. So where it's an issue of physical healing, in most cases, there might be a few exceptions on rare occasions, but in most cases, speaking the word of God is the extent that your faith can, can operate the extent that you can be a doer of the word. And some people will get weird on you and say, well, I believe in God for the healing of my eyes, so I'm going to destroy my glasses. Well, that doesn't speed up the healing process. It just makes you a danger to drive. Some people think that it takes some kind of physical activity to make these things happen. Now what the Bible says is to speak the word of God. To give your attention to speaking the word of God. Now, some people will change what the word says and say what they think and, instead of what the word says. They're making the word of God of none effect. Now, the word of God says we've been delivered by the word of Jesus. Well, yeah, but I know, I know I'm not delivered. I know I'm not free. Well, okay, just keep saying that. See how well that works for you. How long have you been saying that? 20 years. Well, by all means, keep that going. This book of the law, this word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth. Shall not depart out of your mouth. You decide whether it quits coming out of your mouth or not. Shall not depart out of your mouth. The only way you can keep it from departing out of your mouth is to say it again. Say it again. But I've said it thousands of times. Well, you're part of the way there then. How much am I going to have to say it? Day and night. I don't know how fast you talk. But day and night is the instruction. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then, after meditating on the word day and night and being a doer of the word, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. Being prosperous in the area of healing or having success in the area of healing is being healed, isn't it? So we could say, applying to these healing scriptures, These healing scriptures shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Speak them day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt receive your healing. And then thou shalt be successful in receiving healing by faith. That's what it says. It's exactly what it means. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's an absolute truth. It is the absolute truth. Jesus himself said, the word of God is truth. Thank you, Father, that it's true that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes were healed. Thank you, Father. Say this after me. According to the word of God, Jesus took my infirmities. And bore my sicknesses. And with his stripes. I am healed. No matter what it looks like. No matter how I feel. I will never stop. Saying that I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. No matter the doctor's report. No matter how I feel. Whether things get better. Or look like they're getting worse. The word of God. Is truth. Therefore. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that the Word is working mightily in me. My faith is causing me to be raised up. My faith is causing me to, my body to change. Because according to the Word of God, I am healed. Amen. Anybody feel anything when you said that? No? You know what that means? That means you're on the right track. (laughs) Because faith is the evidence of things not seen or felt. Faith is taking the word of God at face value and believing it because God said it. Every time you speak the word, you're returning it to God with power. And that's why it's so important to keep saying it. You're adding power to power to power to power. Sooner or later, you hit the power limit And your body changes. Thank God for his word. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us. We love you. You're dismissed.